I'm Bob Dickey, and welcome to another episode of Taking the Leap Podcast. My guest today is Kim Jeremick. Kim has been the president of multiple companies in the fashion and retail industry, spanning a 20-year career where she's led R&D, manufacturing, product design, marketing, and growing market share during some of the most dynamic and challenging retail environments of our lifetime. Kim is also passionate about helping women in poverty, and she used her leadership roles in these companies to help develop and implement an industry-leading approach that provides opportunities for women, providing true living wages that allows them to have real opportunity and thrive while breaking the cycle of poverty. You will hear in this episode how Kim is finishing a mid-career sabbatical and entering the second phase of her career with new insights, motivations, and goals on how to best serve and inspire those around her and the next generation of leaders. Kim has studied finance at Queens University and is a graduate of the Harvard Business School President's Program. She also recently just completed Oxford University's Reimagining Leadership Executive Program. Kim is a member of the Young Presidents Organization, also known as YPO, and has been the chapter chair, education chair, and was previously on the Canadian board for YPO and WPO. Kim provides incredible insight and learnings from her journey in this episode, and you'll hear that Kim is a close friend of mine whom I have a great deal of respect and admiration. I have watched her over the past decade lead in many different environments. She consistently demonstrates class and grace while being tenacious in achieving every goal and overcoming any obstacle in her way. She's loved by all of our classmates because she has a true servant leader heart and she cares about everyone she meets. I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, so let's jump right in. Well, Kim, my friend, it is so great to have you on the podcast today. I tell you what, I have had so many of our mutual friends reaching out to me over the last number of months and saying, Bob, when are you going to get Kim on the podcast? You got to get Kim on the podcast. And I kept telling them, like, guys, hold on. She's busy. She's traveling. Trust me, I haven't forgotten about Kim. We're going to get her on the pod. And uh, I am so happy that we found a few moments of uh, time in your busy schedule where you could make some time for us. And I'm really looking forward to us sitting down and having a long format conversation so I can learn a little bit more about your life and all the great things that you've been up to these, these many years. Well, I have to say, just in support of you, you have been after me for months. And we just have finally found a time to get together. So I just want to say thank you also for uh, arranging and leading this because you're a busy guy. And the fact that you've you've managed to corral all of us to uh, step up and do this, I'm grateful. So thank you. Well, as you know, uh, so many of our guests recently have been uh, classmates. You and I were in the same graduating class from Harvard Business School. And one of the things that, you know, you do life with this group of people and you, you, you spend time with them, you become friends with their family, you travel and go on trips around the world. And as you, uh, you, I'm sure you experience this as well, but as you graduate, you kind of uh, lives and paths maybe um, move away a little bit. I was just missing that camaraderie. I was missing that time of engagement. And I decided, so, you know what, I'm going to start having you know my classmates jump on the pod. And it's a it's a time to kind of reconnect. Hey, how are you guys doing? What are you learning? And um, yeah, I have so enjoyed it. And you've been at the top of the list. You know, I remember it seems just like yesterday. You and I were sitting uh, there in Tata Hall, getting filmed for our graduation. And I was like, you know, wow, I cannot believe this is coming to an end. But uh, you know, one of the things that um, when I when I think about our time together and the 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 many times that we spent in in forum and 
and just the, the time there on campus, it, you strike me as a leader where uh, y- you have um, you you've, have so many different experiences, and really where you know adversity. You have used adversity in your life to help create you into this really high achieving leader who's been able to accomplish so much. Not for our listeners, I'd really like to kind of give you the opportunity to go back and just share with us a little bit of your origin story and, you know, where you got your start and, you know, why did you decide as a, as a young girl that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and kind of get into the business world and what motivated you, inspired you to start that journey? Yeah, it's a, it's a funny story. I mean, from a little, little girl, I always had this um, vision that I wanted to be a businesswoman. And I would, a silly story, I would play on the weekends with my little brother and I would turn the living room into uh, traveling and we'd get the suitcases out. And we were going on business trips. And so it kind of started there. And um, and then I, um, unfortunately, I had to move out at 16. Um, so I had to work a lot. And one of my jobs was in fashion, um, and I think my record was five jobs at one time. So I learned work ethic because I had to survive. Um, But unfortunately, I couldn't go to university because I was busy making money to live. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I ended up in fashion, and I fell in love with it. And um, I started out in the stores, and then I went into visual, and then... I kept negotiating my way into the head office by doing displays in the store. Even though you weren't allowed to do them, I would do them. And then finally, one day, the manager introduced me to the visual manager, and he hired me. And um, from there, I saw a buying presentation, and I said, I want to do that job. So I've always had a strong vision when I see it. And I ended up uh, making my way into the buying office and then to Long story short, short, I just continued to um, ask and get promoted to different jobs. I did have one female mentor, and I think that's why I am so passionate about mentoring females, um, where she gave me an opportunity um, to be promoted. Um, Originally, the director of HR, although I was always on a fast track, said because I didn't have a university degree, Um, There was no way I could ever go past a certain position. There was no way I could be president of a company. There would be no way I could report to a board. Um, And as you know me, Bob, anybody that tells me I can't do something, it fuels me more. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I just kept going. And by my late 20s, I was EVP of a $250 million fashion company. And I would say by mid-30s, I became president of another $150 million fashion company. So with constant persistence um, and perseverance, believing in yourself and not taking no Mm -hmm. as no um, and having a real passion and vision for what you want to do. Um, And I continue to, to live that way today. I mean, as a female executive, I'm working with male executives and and male executives, it's just natural. They 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 chum together, they're bros, and you're trying to be able to fit your way in. Um, and I did it without trying to be a man, because mm-hmm. a lot of women try to be a man. Um, I just used my skills and communication skills and really created great relationships with my male counterparts. Um, 
yeah, and that's kind of some of the adversity along the journey. It, it's always been one of the analogies I use, and I'm still using it, is I felt my life was like a boxer mm-hmm. where I'd go out for a round and try, try and get knocked down and go back to the corner and re-strategize and then get back up and try to do it over again. So that's kind of been the journey. Oh, wow. Well, you, you, you certainly are a fighter and a persevere. I, I want to double click on this early on. I mean, it, so did you always have kind of like a bent for fashion? It, it, was that some like a natural gifting that you had, which led you to there? Did you stumble into that? And Because and, and I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the early entry into this sector, because there's so many people that I had talked to today, young people be like, well, I want to do this, but I don't have the right degree, or I want to do this, but I don't have the right credentials. And here you are, you're this young girl getting started without any credentials. And you, through perseverance, hard work, determination, vision, like this is what I'm going to do. And you craft this wonderful, beautiful, powerful career um, in a very non-traditional way. And I think that's motivating and inspiring to so many people who, who might want to do something similar, but think, oh my gosh, you know, I don't have what it takes to do this. So let, let's, let's, let's maybe sit on this for a little bit and go all the way back to where, you know, the, the, your, your desire to get into fashion. Yeah, I would say, um, I remember being a little kid and, and I was just different and I always needed to have my, my clothes perfect. I'd have to have everything matching Mm -hmm. and my hair done a certain way, which sounds so silly, but I just was consistently like that. And I think also growing up poor, I was poor single mother. Um, I didn't want to stand out in a a way that I wanted to fit in. So Mm -hmm. I just always worked really hard at trying to be normal and fit in at school. And, and, you know, so no one really knew I came from a poor background Mm -hmm. and, um, and I was always a hard worker and I'll say an entrepreneur because I started, you know, the, the, what do you call it? The paper route. They don't Mm -hmm. have those anymore. Um, And then, you know, the minute that they would hire me at 16, I was working and, um, Yeah, I think it's just something I was really good at. And when I got into fashion, I was really good at um, trends and style and color. And and that was the first part of the journey. And then I got into all the numbers and the analytics and the finance of the P&L. And it was really interesting because not everyone has the ability to use both sides of their brain. Mm -hmm. And I love both. Um, So that's really where I think my journey ended up continuing to go on to be higher, but it truly was a vision that I've always had. And when I set my mind to something, um, I just go like, I don't let anything make me feel insecure. But it sounds like you had some natural talent and insights in the, into the fashion industry. And I would imagine, uh, as doors of opportunity, uh, to open or four doors of opportunity to open, you had to demonstrate competence, uh, excellence, uh, you know, insight, you were helping a business somewhere, uh, move the needle and, and somebody in leadership's looking at, uh, young Kim and like, oh my goodness, this young girl knows what she's doing. What this girl is moving the needle. Who were some of those early, maybe bosses or mentors, uh, that you, uh, impressed and, and how did you do that? And, and like maybe walk us through some of those, 
uh, early jobs that was, you know, one domino tipped to lead to the next one. And because I mean, it sounds like it, you went from entry, entry level to being a president running a $250 million company. Yeah. Um, I was early on in the store, um, cause that's where it all started for mm-hmm. me to get into the, the head office was, um, I would be there every weekend, every opportunity. I would try to be a top salesperson and we would have fun doing it. It wasn't a chore. And so my manager was the one that introduced me to the head of visual. And then I went to do um, visual and I traveled across Canada. And again, that's where my creative spark started because I was really curating. What did the windows look like? What do all the displays look like? and I went on to see a buying um, trend season forecast mm-hmm. and um, went in and did all the hard work of being an assistant. Like, it's a lot of work. And one of the things I wanted to share with you is one of the keys to my success was I intuitively knew that I needed to get myself beside the smart people, the smart leaders and learn as much as they could. And I remember in my one of my very first buying jobs, it was, you know, years ago when they used to still smoke in the office and drink in the office. <laughs> and uh, this woman would yell out of her office at me, orders and orders and orders. And I could have said, oh, good Lord, I'm not doing this and walk away. And I thought to myself, you know what? You keep yelling and I'll keep doing and I'll keep learning, and I'm going to take your job one day in my head. I didn't oh, tell her that. Right. <laughs> and I did. Um, and then I went on to um, another company, and I was just really talented with building product and colors. And I just had a intuition for all of that. Mm-hmm. And my um, GMM at the time, Joyce, gave me um, – that opportunity to move forward. And she was the one, the critical one that propelled my career. Um, And then when I went over to Winnipeg, I was uh, GMM and um, I was given an opportunity to work with a president that had a strong finance side. Mm -hmm. And the same thing, I thought I'm going to just stick to him and learn everything I can about the finance and the P and L and, you know, and he taught me, look at the, you don't have to know how to build the PL. That's what a controller's for. You need to learn to look at the, the the positive variances and the negative variances and dig in. And so just people along the way that I stuck to mm-hmm. continued to teach me. And then when I went to go to Harvard, I was petrified. I thought, I don't belong here. I was so nervous the first year. I think Basil was my group leader. And I I was like, I have no right to be here. I don't have a university degree. Who am I? The imposter syndrome. Uh, That was the greatest first week of my life at Harvard. And I have to tell you, by the end of it, not only did I make so many friends and learn so much, I love the case study method, but I realized, wow, these people are all just like me. I do fit in. And uh, it was a huge aha. And Yeah. And I think, you know, the years of Harvard having all the case studies gave me a lot of confidence to do things that I might not have felt I could do. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
it's been a journey. It's not one thing, but you just have to keep pushing through your fears all the way through. Even if you don't know something, go get a book and try to learn about it. Most of what I've done has been self-taught. And um, I think that's an exciting thing for our future generation with all of the knowledge industry that's happening right now. What what incredible insight. Now, I love the fact that you early on in your career noticed that you needed to uh, find a leader and get next to them and learn as much as you possibly could from them. And it, and it sounds like, I mean, it was that, isn't there like a famous movie, uh, the devil wears Prada where it's like some really domineering, like woman in the fashion industry who just barks orders at everybody and everyone's terrified of her. And it almost sounds like you kind of had one of those types of experiences, but you're like, I, look, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to learn from this individual and I'm going to grow and I'm going to take her job. And sure enough, you do. Um, what is there any advice that you would give young people today where you know we're we're entering into this post covid world of uh, geographically separated workforces uh, i've heard scott galloway who uh, i'm sure you you know very well a professor at nyu and he's constantly encouraging young people be like whatever you do do not just go and work from home and you know find um, you know this ideal spot and zoom in. He goes, when you're young and you're early in your career, you need to get next to thought leaders and leaders who are going to uh, mentor you and grow you. If you if you're not near those le- those centers of leadership, you're missing out. And here's young Kim, and you're early in your career, that's what you're doing today. There's a y- lot of young people who might not have that opportunity. Is there a way in which they can do that in this geographically separated world via Zoom? Any tips or any things that you've seen that you would recommend? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple parts or answers to that, those questions. Um, I think one of the things I would say to young people today um, is don't be afraid to do the tough work at the beginning of your career mm-hmm. and try to learn as much about the industry as you can. Um, I do find of times I see some young people coming out of school and wanting to jump into more senior jobs, but they haven't learned the foundation yet. Mm -hmm. So I think it's their perspective of saying, it's okay for me to learn and do all the jobs first, because then you will have a very solid career. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think asking a lot of questions, like they need to take the initiative themselves and ask the question, not wait to be Mm -hmm. given it to them. And I find, um, I see a lot of people sitting back waiting for the direction versus being you know, naturally curious and asking questions. Um, some of the other things is don't just work nine to five or eight thirty to four thirty, whatever your hours are. Um, I'm all about life balance, but put your hand up for some projects and some extra initiatives. It'll help you grow more. It'll get you noticed, um, and you know that extra hard work will go a long way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I really, really feel is important that I want young people to hear is success leaves clues. Mm. So start researching. One of the things I did early in my career was I would find successful companies in the product or service industry, and I would read their annual reports and their quarterly reports. And it's amazing how much of their strategy they put into those documents. Um, So you don't have to create everything from scratch, you can really learn, learn a lot. Um, yeah. And I just think kind of like what we talked about already is finding a mentor, finding a coach, um, 
that has already done it. And mm-hmm. guess what? You They can shorten their learning time. Mm-hmm. They can maybe um, not have to go through all the bumps that we had because they can learn from an expert. Um, you know, there's something I'm hoping to talk to Adam and Basil mm-hmm. later today about that may answer that, that topic more. But really, how can we at YPO, we're experts in so many topics. Mm-hmm. How, why can't we build a syllabus for for young people that they could read or follow or listen to some of us speak? Mm-hmm. So I think there's lots and lots of opportunities now that we have technology like Zoom mm-hmm. that we could be really helpful as a YPO community. I agree. I, I, lo- I love the concept of you know learning from your mistakes. And one of the um, quotes I, I remember my dad sharing with me many times when I was a, a young boy kind of growing up. He said, Bobby, learn from your mistakes, but when possible, preferably from somebody else's. Right. <laughs> so and I'm like, absolutely. And um, well, I think about, you know, when I was in my 20s, if I had someone that knows what I know now in my mm-hmm. 50s, help me, like it just would would have been expedited. And it's not that I believe that you shouldn't, you learn from your mistakes. So you have to make some mistakes for sure, but it's more about shortening the learning curve versus taking so long. And I think if we could create more leaders um, that will have impact and truly are servant leaders and can do good from our learnings, I think our communities will be a much stronger place. Mm-hmm. Well, speak, speaking of a stronger community, you highlight this a, l- a little while ago, uh, your engagement when I- I- at Harvard, right? When you, when you came and you thought to yourself, oh my goodness, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't belong here. And I remember a class, I'm pretty sure you and I were in this class together and we had, it was both section A and section B. So both sections together, probably about 180 presidents and CEOs from around the world. And I, it was the, I forget the professor, you, you might remember this, but it was, we were talking about the imposter syndrome. And I, yes. and I remember th- them asking me, like, does, does anybody here feel like, you know, and they're, they're walking through what the imposter syndrome is and how this is a, a, a fl- afflicts so many different people. And there was a young girl... It's a young girl. It was a, a a young female, younger than me, in the back, and she and she was the one who let it off. She had the courage to stand up, and she said, "I'll I'll tell you, this is how I feel." And this, this is and and she's running this iconic company. She's brilliant. She's got accolades of all these great you know universities and all these different things that she, you know she's done. And you're thinking to yourself, "Well, come on, this girl can't be thinking that she's an imposter syndrome. And she's a rock star, right?" She's like, "Here's what I struggle with." Here's what I deal with. Then all of a sudden, you saw the courage of that one individual to say, actually, you know, here's what I'm thinking. And then boom, boom the, the room, like virtually everybody in the room raised their hands. Say, you know what? I, I, I struggle with the same self-doubt. I, I struggle with the same, you know, particular issues. And you start, you look around the room, you're thinking, this is a room filled with some incredible individuals and everybody is going through similar kind of challenges and, you know, doubts and, you know, maybe discouragements. And it was one of those eye-opening moments, and and where it really built camaraderie, I think, amongst you know all the participants and classmates. And I think it broke down some barriers and allowed people to say, you know, what? when I go back to forum, when I get back with my small group, I'm gonna I'm gonna open up a little bit more. I'm gonna be a little bit more transparent. I'm gonna put some 
issues on the table and ask for some help where maybe in the past I didn't want to because I felt like, ah, right. And I, did you, do you remember the, the class I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. And, and that was a massive aha for me because we live inside our own heads mm -hmm. and we all feel it. We all feel fear um, when we have to do something we haven't done before or um, maybe be with people we sometimes think are smarter than us. And yeah, it was amazing. And to your point, even the forums, our study group, um, we go quite deep. I, I was, you know, honored to be a group leader for, I think it was seven out of the nine years. And um, just to be able to be real, uh, be honest, um, and realize you have a peer group that have similar, maybe different challenges does make you feel less of an imposter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, it's a good point, Bob, because I, I hear this even outside of YPO and in other forums. It, it's, it's consistent when you're a leader that you're constantly driving and you're caring and you're wanting to grow and you sometimes are going into things you, you don't know and you have to figure it out mm -hmm. and you're like, oh my God, someone's going to find out. I don't really know how to do this. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> we always find a way. Right. And no matter what stage of life you're in, uh, no matter what you're doing, you, you never reach this moment where you have all the answers. Right. And, and so I, I can look back at uh, myself in my 20s and be like, oh, I wish I would have known this. I wish I would have had the courage to ask this question or seek out a mentor in, in this particular situation. So what I try to do with those learnings, be like, OK, I'm 48. And, you know, Bob, uh, soon to be 49, but, uh, Bob, be, be authentic, be real, be transparent, be, be vulnerable and seek out those mentors and those people, those advisors right now in this stage of your life, where you've got these big questions, where you might have these insecurities, where you don't have the answer to, you know, certain things and, um, shortcut the process. Don't struggle with these things for years and years and years, hoping to learn on your own, but rather go out to somebody who's older, wiser, smarter than you and say, hey, can you help me through this? And it can sometimes be scary because people don't want to be vulnerable. But that's one of the things I think I, we've, we learn in YPO. We learned at HBS and hopefully we can inspire young people to be like, hey, because we live in this world where everybody wants to put on this like perfect image on social media of like, we've got it all together. We're fine. Our life is perfect. There's no issue here. Um, the reality is you and I are old enough to know that nobody is like that, right? <laughs> There's Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Nobody is like that. And, you know, I'm, I'm here taking my first sabbatical and that's why I said, Bob, I've got some time. We're going to do this. I've never taken a sabbatical in my life. It's incredible because I've had time to slow down and and really think, mm -hmm. um, and not just business. Like I had to actually try to not. Well, it, it hasn't lasted forever, but mm -hmm. I'm I really tried not to read business books for a while. Um, and but it's scary when you have to start to you know really feel and learn about yourself personally. Um, but yeah, I the other thing I really try to do is have great honest conversations where I don't have to have all the answers. I test my, one of the things I've coached a lot is 
test your assumptions. Mm. Just sit down and test your assumptions and ask someone, how are they doing? How are they feeling? Um, And I find you get a lot of really incredible knowledge out of taking that approach in a conversation, whether it's personal or business. And um, yeah, I just really think, you know, whether it's setbacks or challenges, stopping and say, don't beat yourself up, Mm -hmm. learn from them. It's kind of like doing a hindsight on, you know, COVID and everything that we've all gone through recently. My goodness, like as a leader, we've, none of us have ever been through this. And, you know, it's really, I had done this in Nashville. I sat back and I actually did a, um, a six month review on what, what did I do as a leader during some of those things? What worked, what didn't work, what did I do really well and what could I change? And I think taking the time to do some of those things for yourself is really important. Uh, Wow. So well said. I, I certainly hope that, uh, our business leaders, politicians, and government officials, we, we, we need to do a post-mortem on, you know, h- how we did during and post-COVID. And, and because it's not going to be the, the last pandemic that we have or the last major global issue that we have. And how do we learn from it, grow from it, get better? Um, it's desperately needed. And speaking of your sabbatical. I, I remember chatting with you, right? I, I, I've been like, as you said, I've been calling you, Kim, I want to get you on the pod. I want to chat with you. I want to hear what you're, what you're up to, what you're learning, how you're growing. And you told me you're taking this sabbatical. And I will tell you when you reached back out and we had a conversation, like I'm ready. I could not believe the energy and the excitement, the exuberance that you had in your voice, having been spending some time away up there, uh, on the lake in Canada, your sabbatical, you were a different person. And I think so many people, I was just literally talking to a business partner of mine and he, he's on a family vacation and he's like, ah, oh, Bob, it's just not long enough. I, you know, I'm, I'm taking a few days, but I really need to take, you know, a couple of weeks and just be away and think. And we were kind of talking a little bit about this and here you are, you, you had the courage and the, um, the tenacity to, to take the, a sabbatical mid-career which so many people talk about they want to do, but a lot of times you probably are too fearful to do. And I, let's talk a little bit about this, about what, what's your mental state of mind as you're going into this? What are you hoping to accomplish? And what are some of those things? Let, let, let's assume that we've got a lot of uh, classmates and people listening, and you're, you're going to encourage them to take a sabbatical because of what you've learned. What, what, what are some of the big positive yeah. things that have come out of this? Because you're a different person. I can see it in your face. I mean, you've got this radiant glow, this excitement, this energy for life. Yeah, you know, I, I have to tell you, it's it, the first phase of sabbatical is really hard because you're used to going so fast and looking after the business, looking after so many people. You know, we just came out of COVID and, and many more things. And so the first part of the sabbatical is teaching. I had to teach myself how to slow down. Mm-hmm. And with that comes anxiety, with that comes guilt, because you're thinking, oh my gosh, I should be doing something. I should be doing something. And one of my really good friends said, Kim, give yourself some grace. Give yourself grace. Give yourself time. You know, you can get up and still have, you know, a routine, but you really need to learn to unwind before you can reset. And so that's what I did for the first little while. And it was hard because I was always looking to do something. 
Um, and then I went through the can, reset. Can I, can I ask you a question? When, when, while you're doing that, in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, I'm trying to give myself grace. I'm trying to like, you know, unwind. And are, are you battling the, like, you'll see a project. Well, maybe I should paint the deck or maybe I should mow the lawn. Or you're, you're finding little projects around the house that your eye catches. You're like, I need to go do this because you're such a type A, we're, we're, we're driven leaders. And if like, we're not engaged in doing something, we feel like we're being lazy. Were you battling those types of of like little projects that you wanted to like, oh, I need to wash the floor or whatever the case may be. Oh, yeah. Um, but then you get all the little projects done. And mm. so that's part of the first phase. You're slowing down, but you're still doing projects. Yeah. <laughs> and then the second phase is you're just sitting and you're, I'm, I have my island is, I'm on an island okay. actually. And all the pine trees, it's beautiful water all around me. Um, so just really trying to stop and, and, um, be grateful for what's around us. And, you know, I'm back with friends and my daughter comes to see me. So just being grateful for all of those things outside of business life. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really good for the soul. And then I started thinking about, okay, what's really important? What, what are the things in life that are important? What is my purpose? What is my mission? What do I, what's my legacy and what do I want to be known for? And mm. those things, we do them sometimes in YPO forum retreats, but that's still really short. Yeah. And so an being, allowing myself to go up and down through those thoughts um, has been great. Now, trust me, Bob, I've woken up with terrible anxiety and I don't even know why, because it's just a whole new experience. Um, and then I'll talk to a couple friends and I'm fine again. But really where I'm at now is I feel I'm at the point where I can reset. I've got more energy, as you said. I've got more clarity on some of the things I want to do, what I don't want to do. Um, yeah, and now it's time to kind of get back involved. Um, I did realize how passionate I am about learning mm -hmm. while I've been um, having more time to think. So all in all, it's been incredible, and I would encourage, if you can, more time to more people to take the time. You don't have to take a full sabbatical, but you know, it's like strategy of life. We mm -hmm. do strategy for business, but do we do enough strategy for life? I don't think we do. It's so well said, and I don't even know how to start it. To tell you the truth, for me personally, I, there's times when I'll take a a long vacation or try to get away. And I find myself when you're, you're talking about this, about, you know, the, the, all these little things that are going on. And, and that's like, I have a hard time even sitting on the beach and just, you know, and reading a book at times, like it's gotta be a business book and I'm taking notes and I'm like thinking about, okay, when I get back, I'm going to do this. And I mean, we're going to have this marketing initiative and we're going to, you know, do this tech thing. And my mind is just, you know, geared up, uh, to be in the, in the game, right. To be in the fight. Yeah. And you well, know, that's how we're, that's how we're wired. And I have to tell you, I just had all my best friends for the long weekend. We had a long weekend in Canada and they're all making fun of me because they're calling me, uh, I'm creating a series of lost Island girl or something. <laughs> I said, I can't believe you've been sitting here this long, but, uh, I'm glad I had, I could give them some things to laugh about, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's different. Like it's, you've got to really, you've got to really control that. And mm. I, I understand what you're saying about taking the business books and, and not being able to stop your mind. Like, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things 
I'm trying to learn is meditation Mm -hmm. and creative visualization because I can't stop easily. And so during this sabbatical, I've been doing a lot more of that. I'm still struggling with some of the visualization, Mm -hmm. but the meditation has really helped. Well, you know, one of the things that you're probably doing right now is you're cracking a code that so many people need to have and you being able to share what you've learned. And then like what for these girlfriends of yours that are showing up on your island and, you know, and and, uh, seeing this, you're actually modeling some behavior that's probably really important for them to be able to incorporate into their life. It could be game changing for them. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to you, you know, when the podcast is over, I'm going to be like uh, asking you even more questions, be like, Hey, send me some more things that you've learned and how you've been able to do this. But what are some of the books that you've been reading? Like, so you said you weren't trying to uh, read business books. I'm going to say, were you, were you getting into fiction and you know, just other types yeah. of things to kind of get your mind away from just the, yeah, the normal I've things that you were doing? Lots of fiction, really light, mm-hmm. you know, romance uh, about people having the perfect life, which mm-hmm. is so not true. <laughs> But it's fun to just yeah. like dream a little. Um, but I've been I've been listening probably more than reading. But um, have you heard of a Fearless Heart by Dalai Lama? No, I haven't. Is this yeah, a, is this a podcast or is this a book? It's a book I okay. do on Audible, but okay. it's really interesting because I guess it's kind of cheating because there is definitely stuff about the workplace. But it's really how to the fundamentals of how. Um, we need to be whole mm-hmm. and how we need to be with our friends, how we need to show up, how do we need to um, create empathy in the workplace? Uh, how do we have to be leaders that can lead with compassion, but still lead and get the job done and make, you know, big decisions. Sure. Um, so I've been really loving that. And then untethered soul. I don't know if you've read, read or heard that one. I um, it's, it's really deep about understanding, you know, the feelings inside of your body. Some of them are stems from childhood, but I've actually read that twice. And, and mm. every time I've read it, I, I take something else away from it. So I'm pretty sure I'll read it a third time. Well, it, it strikes me that in our world today, there's so many different places where people can go to get help and understanding about different types of addiction. and. Yeah. There's, you know, we've, we've heard the term workaholic, but it, it, it's possible that people, individuals can be addicted to work. And we, we, we look at that and we say, well, well this has got to be healthy. We're, we're productive. We're building a company. We're, we're uh, giving employment to, for people. And it's, it's good for us to be, you know, fully involved and do and, and work hard. You know, isn't that, that's what society wants from us, but you can also take a good thing to a very unhealthy ending, right? If you overdo it. And, you know, there, there's probably some work addiction that goes along the, the way and people, especially people who have their identities tied up into their job, into their title, into those types of things. It can be really hard to take a break, be like, oh my goodness, my entire identity revolves around, I'm the CEO of this company or I'm the president of this company. I'm, you know, this, this job title this is what I do. Is there anything that through your readings, uh, through your sabbatical, your time away, that you've been able to, you know, maybe process uh, how you view work and how you view your role and um, your, yourself in the future. Any any learnings there that you would want to pass on to folks who who might be struggling with some of those things? Yeah, I think when I go back to work, I mean, I've always been a servant leader, 
but I really want to make sure I'm having, I'm having impact, positive impact. And it's not only about EBITDA um, and growing revenues. I think obviously to keep our jobs, we all need to do that and do it really well. But it's just really, how do we create impact in teaching uh, the other leaders to be better leaders? And um, so just taking it to a more, um, what do I call it? Like an impact level. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to here, and it's interesting because I have a good friend who um, is about a year ahead of me, but she's she is retired, semi-retired. She's on boards and things. And the two of us have been through this journey a little bit together. And really, we've had to find other things that we can identify with. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them are things like, what are we grateful for every day? Um, What are the new things that we can try as far as experiences? Um, And dream a little more. What are some of the things we want to do and travel? And um, so it's just, it's just diverting where we spend all of our time. Like we used to spend all our time on business and goal setting. And now it's like, how do we have a better life? Uh, What's important in life? What's a fulfilling life? And so it's more on that side of the the fence, if you will. Let me, this is, I want to ask you a question on some of the things that you're navigating, the questions that you're asking yourself right, right now. And early on in the conversation, you were talking about, you, your younger self, and you were all in. And you were like, man, early in my career, I'm next to these powerful leaders. I'm learning from them. Um, I'm in working past five o'clock, right? Working around the clock, working late, asking for extra projects. And as you were sharing this story, I was remembering one of my earlier, my, um, my first boss in the Air Force, my uh, commanding officer. And I had just graduated from the University of Tennessee, and I was, you know, kind of a, a young guy. I was married and uh, had a couple kids, and I wanted to just kind of relax a little bit. And he was like, "Bob, your life is going to get a lot more complicated." He said, "Right now is the time that you need to invest in going and getting your master's degree. If you don't do it now, it's going to get a lot harder. Do it now." And I remember, uh, I mean, he basically forced me. Uh, to do this. And I worked uh, around the clock, full-time job in the Air Force, and then for two years getting my master's degree at the University of Arkansas. And uh, I mean, my, I, I literally had no work-life balance. I, it, it, was, it was work. It was school. I saw my wife every now and then. We joke about it. Um, literally had no fun. And I juxtapose, I, and it sounds like early in your career, you had a similar type. You're like, I want to make a name for myself. I want to learn. I'm going all in. I'm working around the clock. I'm asking for projects. So I hear your story. I see a little bit of my story. And then I hear... Uh, conversations, maybe for for young people, some young people that I've engaged with from time to time today, where it feels like it's the the whole FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. I want to have work life balance, and it it feels like there's a they're having a different conversation, and I see them approach work a lot different than I was approaching work when I was in my early 20s. And so my question for you is this, is that that approach right or is it wrong? Because I'm also hearing me and you now talk, we're, you know, in our, you know, coming up in our 50s and we're talking about, hey, we want to, you know, we want to find ourselves. We want to have some work-life balance. We want to make sure, I'm like, is that it? 
should we should you and I have been asking those questions and doing that in our early, like 20s and 22, 23, 24? Does the younger generation today have it right? Or did actually we do it right? You know, it was like, hey, I'm all in on work and I'm going to build the life. And then later on, I'll start asking these questions. Yeah. Do, you, do you see the juxtaposition there between these two two ways of approaching it? Yeah. And I, I don't think I, I would suggest that, you know, young people work around the clock like we did. I think that that is not necessary because we have technologies now that when you and I were starting out, um, we didn't have, so we had to work more hours because we had to do so much more manually. And we were Um, in the office and on the weekends. uh, Right. And, um, you know, people are not doing the commutes like you and I used to do. We'd be on planes Mm -hmm. all the time. Um, So there's a lot of, time saving that's happening right now. I mean, even with AI, the amount that that um, young people right now can cut out of um, maybe cut out on the job because they can use things like AI. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of ways to work hard, put your hand up, get noticed, deliver quality without having to work as many hours as we used to. I think I think it's just evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think young people still do do need to have a balance, a healthy balance. But I think it kind of comes because they don't have children yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're being pulled with a lot of other things. Um, and by the time we're close to 50 or in our 50s, we're now like, oh, my God, we've just gone through this storm cloud of work and kids. And really compare the two. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so by the time we come out of this, we're like, holy smokes, I'm burnt out. Yeah. And I need to find other ways to have a balance versus giving, giving, giving. Right. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. I, I, I'm just trying to figure out, like, how, how can I best give advice and mentor and help sure. uh, the, the young people who are starting their career? And um, I'm listening to your story and my story, and it sounds like it's similar paths. And I, I look back on my career, and I I realize I sacrificed a lot in my 20s to put my career first or to, to, to accomplish certain things. But I, I don't regret it because I feel like it built a foundation for where my, you know how I'm able to provide for my family today. But I'm wondering, like, so as I'm and I can hear it in your voice, you're passionate about helping that next generation leader. You've been talking about having impact. You want to mentor up those that next generation female CEO and girl boss. And so how do we do that the right way? Do, and I did that, that's why I'm just, I just want to kind of peel back the layer of the onion on this a little bit and make sure that we're given you know, correct advice. Because you're, you're actually right. It's like so much has changed. Yeah, and it's kind of like if you compare it to being an athlete. Mm-hmm. If an athlete just wants to have work-life balance and not put in all the work, they're not going to be a top athlete. So I I think that has to be the basis. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you still have to work hard. It's how do you work? Smarter, not longer. Mm -hmm. Harder, not longer. Mm -hmm. Um, So you just have to really think about, like, how how organized are they to execute and get things done faster? So I still think the... The message to stand out to your bosses and earn the recognition is critical. Um, I wouldn't say putting, I wouldn't put a time of hours around it like you and I had to do because we didn't have the tools that they have now. Um, 
So I think we had no choice, whereas they have choices to do it differently now. But the bottom line is they do need to stand out in a crowd um, and they do need to be recognized and they do need an, someone in the company or a mentor to say, hey, you're worth investing in mm-hmm. and then it'll help you along your career journey faster. Great words of wisdom, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, a few moments ago, you uh, were talking about uh, doing a little bit of a, a post-mortem on various aspects of life or, you know, your career now that you're in the, been in the sabbatical and have you had an opportunity to kind of think back on, uh, some of the adversities that you've faced in life and the challenges that you faced in, in, in life that lead you up to this point in your career. And, you know, uh, what, how, what have you learned from it or what advice, how, what would you share to people and say, Hey, you know, here's, here's my learnings. We were talking a second ago, my dad's saying, Hey, learn from your mistakes, but preferably somebody else's. So this is your chance, you know, to, to, to share some of, some of those learnings with, with folks, because hey, the last few years have been really challenging with COVID and then the, the, the recession and everything. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the, I'll say the final stages of my sabbatical. So I'm about to craft a roadmap, okay. um, and kind of do my learning, but the theme is my mess is my message and how do I document that so that I can teach it out is kind of what one of my projects I'm working on right now. I love that. Um, so it's still in the infancy stages, um, <laughs> but more to come. Stay tuned. But uh, I'm excited actually to be doing that um, a lot, actually. So and my, my yeah, and it was my passion lies. My- my mess is my message. I absolutely love that. That is brilliant. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just reflecting while on the sabbatical, like all the things that have been challenges in my life is what, how I've grown, you know, and I think about, you know, the COVID for instance. Um, I mean, that, that was really hard and like I said, we've never, we've never had to go through something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it taught me quite a bit, um, which was really, first of all, communication, honesty, integrity, and transparency with your team. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had to be really honest that we've never been in this situation. We didn't know how long it was going to last. But what we did know, because being in the fashion business, we have. Um, a lot of capital tied up in inventory and then sales just stopped for a while. So we need cash coming in and out to keep the inventory flowing. And um, that's our biggest expense. And then the second is payroll. Mm -hmm. So what we decided to do was um, we're an ethical fashion company and we wanted to make sure our partners, our vendors, survived this as well. So we got on some calls and we ended up um, just asking for a small discount because they're dealing with the same thing as we mm-hmm. are. And then thank goodness for e-commerce because we then passed the, we didn't keep any of it. We passed it on to our customers and it ended up being a win-win because our vendors uh, got cash we turned our inventory into cash and the customers got some great deals. And we were also transparent with them why we were doing it to Mm. save our factories in Ethiopia and keep the brand alive, which was completely honest. 
And then I think the hardest part for me is we um, had to turn the organization into a sales and marketing only, and our design team had to be furloughed. And we had just finished building an incredible, talented design team, and that really broke my heart that we had to furlough them. I mean, the good news with all the tough decisions and, uh, you know, you have to make tough decisions fast, mm-hmm. um, but in the, with the best intent to save the company. Mm-hmm. But the good news is we got them all back, so that was quite exciting, um, and we weathered the storm. But my goodness, the thing I learned about we're scaling a business and we're in growth mode, mm-hmm. and when you're in growth mode, you're, you're always trying to build the organization for one or two steps ahead to continue to fuel the growth. Um, but you do get fat. And, and when we went through this, we really learned, oh, my goodness, we need to be so much leaner. Um, I mean, I've always known cash is king, but, mm-hmm. but my goodness, during COVID, cash was king, queen, and everybody else royalty. But, <laughs> um, it, was, it was really um, situation, which I did not like when I was in it. Um, but I did learn, you know, as a leader, you have to be calm. Um, everybody wants you to have the answers. You may not always have the answers, but if you are open and honest, um, I mean, you don't obviously want to have panic, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) you want to just be, Hey, we're going to get through this together. Here are the things that we're doing or I'm doing. And, um, yeah, so it was, there was a lot of learnings and I, I mean, I've learned so much more about daily cash flow forecasting inventory in and out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, now, now that you've learned it, you ho- oh, you won't have to learn it again, right? You've got ba- the battle scars. We all have battle scars that, uh, right? Um, t- tell me some of the things that you would do in making a decision without complete information. And I think leaders, a lot of times, and 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 everybody, we're, we're going to be faced with uh, challenges, times in life where we've got to make an important decision. We have incomplete information. Are there anything? things that you learned during that season? Because I found myself constantly having to make important decisions with incomplete information. Yeah, I I think when you have a bucket full of decisions to make without a lot of information, what I found is really just prioritizing. Because sometimes you can be making a lot of decisions, but you're not prioritizing the biggest impact decisions Mm. first. Because it's better to start there, and then maybe you don't have to make all the decisions right away and it can buy yourself a little bit of time, but really prioritizing what are the biggest impacts. So what I talked about was inventory and payroll. So we knew you have to start there first um, and see what you can do. And then you kind of go down the funnel um, layer in the next set of decision-making. And then there's instinct. You have to have your instinct. You won't always be right, but Hey, you're, you're trying to survive. And um, the other big piece is just really talking to employees, like, mm-hmm. you know, getting them involved and engaging them. It's amazing what can happen and how supportive they are when they feel like they're part of the solution. Most of the companies uh, or leaders of companies that I've spoken with have shared with me that during COVID, they were forced to make radical pivots and changes in their business that previously they had never even considered. Right. And I, I think people who are, you know, 
are not entrepreneurs, not leaders of a, a business down in the, in the, the t- t- tactics of running and operating a business. They're like, well, I don't understand why we're making a change. I don't understand why you know a company would do X, Y, and Z. And you know, to me, it's a, a a sign of someone who's just not fully in the loop on all the things that are going on behind the scenes that is forcing companies to radically pivot and change. It sounds like you had a, a fairly big one there for yourself where you're like, hey, we had to let go this entire department and pivot the organization. What did you learn when make, making some of these pivots? Well, I would say at the beginning, I don't think we pivoted fast enough mm-hmm. um, because we just, it was such a storm and we didn't know how long this was going to last. Um, you know, we, we, we did move pretty quickly with payroll and, but could we have gone deeper? Yes. But the unknown, we didn't know how bad it would be. Yeah. Um, and the inventory, we couldn't have done more than what we did. Like mm-hmm. we, it just stopped. And then it was a matter of, is there anything on the docks? Let's cut a deal and then let's promote. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say maybe we, I would say for sure we could have went deeper, but we didn't know, mm-hmm. or I didn't know right. for sure either how long and how serious this was going to be. Yeah, nobody did. I mean, I, re- I remember hearing it was like, hey, it's, uh, was it 14 days to, to, to stop the spread, right? It's like, hey, we're all going to hunker in the bunker for, you know, two weeks and we're good yeah. to go. And, and that next thing you know, it's two or two years in for <laughs> a year. Like, Hey, we, we tried this one, but you know, this doesn't, didn't work. I, mean, I had a couple of those with even our company. And, you know, after the fact, you know, you, you have to sit back and tell people and to talk to, you know, members of the board and be like, Hey, we thought this was going to work. We, again, this is where a leader is making a decision with incomplete information, um, with the best of intent. But then you're just like, Hey, you know what? Uh, it didn't work. And I, I had a conversation even uh, this last week where it was like, uh, you know, somebody was questioning a decision that we made about a year or so ago. And I'd be like, hey, look, here's the one thing I know. Making no decision is a decision and it's the worst decision, right? So if we were going to err, we were going to err on the side of like, we're making some pivots, we're making decisions, we're going to move the company. Not all of them are going to work, but you know, enough of them will to where you live to fight another day. Yeah, I can think of one. It wasn't because of COVID, but we tried, um, you know, when you're scaling your business, customer acquisition is is something you need to rapidly continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um keep your retention, but you need to continue to acquire customers at the pace of the growth you want. And we were presented with this um, program um, to set, like it was like a try on for free. And we had just launched apparel mm-hmm. um, and we thought, oh, this is perfect. We did all of the analysis that the company provided and we did a worst case scenario and some operational analysis on the impact of the warehouse and and um, and so we were we didn't have certain information because we'd never done it before. And we went with what information we were given. And oh my goodness! So we launched it in March, and it took off and actually beat expectations of the sales forecast. So we're all excited. Mm-hmm. But then what happened was the customers started returning at a much higher rate. It bombarded our warehouse. It mm-hmm. killed our cash flow. And then it, we had to come to a screeching halt in May. So that's how fast, March wow. to May. And um, that really hurt the cash flow of the company. And it took us a while to get out of it because the returns were still coming back. Mm-hmm. And the warehouse couldn't process the returns. And, you know, as 
in e-commerce right now, so many things are changing. Um, freight is expensive. You know, the handling costs to sort anything in a warehouse is expensive. Um, so it hit us from every direction. And, you know, we went into it thinking we were, you know, safe with the information we were given. And then, whoo, carpet was pulled out from under us. And I, I've heard similar stories like that of so many different businesses where very smart, accomplished leaders make a decision with incomplete information, with the best of intent. And, like, and it's like, I, I think this is going to work. We're, we're swinging for the fences. You got to take a couple of swings uh, looking for a home run and, and during a crisis like this. And some of them, sometimes you connect and then other times it's like, oh, that one's a miss. And you just, well, and if you don't try anything, yeah. if you don't try anything, how do you evolve? That's right. You have to try things. Well, it was one of the things that, you know, Bezos uh, has been, you know, very open about in his tenure at, at Amazon. And he, he openly talks about these uh, through the, you know, 20 plus years where he was CEO and growing the organization, these huge iconic failures, right. Where they, you know, blew through, you know, multiple billions of dollars on trying something. It's like, eh, it didn't work, but you know what? They, they've connected with enough that, you know, he's built an iconic global business. And speaking of, I, I want to, you're in the e-commerce business and e-commerce just blew up you know, through, through COVID, there's so many changes. You were just talking about all these changes, uh, the shipping and handling. I, I cannot believe I, it seemed like it was on a quarterly basis. I've been getting you know, reports from FedEx and UPS. We're increasing our rates. We're increasing oh, our rates. And then you've got everybody. So anybody who is running a e-commerce business right now is, uh, being benchmarked by the customer off of free shipping from Amazon. Right. And so shipping just absolutely kills you. I, I saw even just this week, but there's, so I'm going to ask you questions and things that are happening, uh, insights that you may have on the e-commerce business. But one of the data points that I saw this week where it may be showing the trends are starting to turn, maybe, maybe a little bit of a downturn. I don't know, but, uh, the, the sale of corrugated boxes, right. Which is the, the, um, a mainstay in e-commerce is falling off a cliff. Apparently it's down, you know, 10%. And, um, so what are you, what do you see in at some point or, or, you know, with, with shipping and you know, did you, do you yeah. feel we hit this like plateau or do you feel like we're just going to be on this continued juggernaut, but how, how's the e-commerce business changing? Yeah, I think, um, Obviously, the biggest change in the last number of years is, you're right, going from retail stores to online. And then Amazon has now set an expectation for the customers that can order as much as you want, get it really fast, return anything. They have, they are smart. They've figured out a way with UPS for drop-off, so they're not paying the shipping back. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I do think that... Um, and then, sorry, the one thing I also want to add on that's costing um, e-commerce or any re product people more money is the whole ethical, sustainable customers wanting everything um, done with that in mind. Yeah. And, of course, that comes also with expense. So, yeah. you know, we're getting freight. We're getting um, freight coming in is up. Freight going out is up. Actually, anything to do with recyclable packaging or uh, biodegradable is very expensive. Um, and, yeah, I don't think that's 
going to go away. And I don't think the corrugated boxes dropping is going to be enough because the other stuff keeps going up, as you said. Like, we keep getting increases. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like e-commerce or retail is a tough industry. And it's not like there's tons of easy margins to be made. And, and all these cost increases, we can't increase our prices mm-hmm. at the same rate. Right. So it's really tough. But I do think, um, you know, what I would say for brands is this is the time that you really have to edit down your assortments and your product lines and really, really understand the business economics of your product lines and what's really making you the money and not be so broad. Because what people are, what some leaders are not thinking about is the cost to develop all the content to get that product up on your site is part of, you know, reducing Mm -hmm. your margin. And then also, um, you know, when you think of e-commerce, it's like one screen the customer's looking at. And yet when you go in a store, they see everything at once. But we're trying to offer hundreds of SKUs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's not focused. And right. I think we need to be so much more focused. And, you know, you've heard it, brand recall and recognition is really be known for something and not everything. Right. And just really invest your any expenses in making the best quality product that you can and just continue to show up and be known for that, I think is really, really important to offset some of those expenses. Because if you reduce your SKU base and your assortment, you take the risk out of things not selling and you will now have better margin Mm -hmm. product to offset some of those expenses. So I think you really have to balance what you're offering in order to offset some of the costs. Yeah. And then I think the other real impact on e-commerce is um, how fast the technology is changing, like we talked about. That's unbelievable. Um, I went to Shop Talk and there's so many technologies out there and everyone is trying to sell you that they have the best technology. And yeah, and it's scary because they're not cheap. They cost quite a bit. If you can get the right ones, it can save you money. But that's also back to one of those stories. You try something, it may work, it may not. Um, And then the um, the last two things are the increase in fraud. Like it is crazy what's happening out there. We had it happen. I'm on the um, the WhatsApp chat for e-commerce for YPO, Mm -hmm. and uh, I think I had five people on the chat this morning say the same thing happened to them. Where these companies from China are coming in and duplicating your site or fraudsters, maybe they're not from China, but either it looks yeah. like it's your site, yeah. but it's not your site. And then they're selling things at discounts and and then the black market with credit cards. It's like every time you turn around. Yeah. And then the last thing I would say is um, a challenge for e-commerce is Google and Facebook ads because, um, you know, their, cha- their policies are changing all the time. You know, if, something happens with your Google ads and they shut it down and you lose momentum of your algorithms. And it's just, it's so much more technical than it ever was when we used to just have to build great product. Yeah. I remember talking with somebody, uh, who pretty successful in the e-commerce business. And I, uh, remember asking him, how come you are not leveraging 
Facebook as much in terms of trying to reach your target audience. And his comment was, is like, I feel like it's building a castle on the sand because I mean, they can literally change the algorithm whenever they want to. And right now it's like you, you can invest literally millions of dollars in Facebook marketing and you feel like you're building a community. And then literally in the dead of the night, click. And it's like, you're, you're now you're not talking to anybody. They changed the whole thing up because I want to be able to have a relationship with my customers where I know that somebody's not going to turn it off in the dead of the night. So he was working on ways of like, you know, having a, a, a different relationship directly with his customers, you know, email, other, other avenues. But did you fit, find the same thing? Cause I, I know that you know, some of the brands that you've worked with in the past, you have great, uh, incredible social media marketing. Um, was, was that a concern, you know, going through some of those routes? Well, the same thing is happening with Instagram and influencers. Like mm -hmm. they're all in and then, uh, respectfully so some of them get burnt out and you've now depended on them to drive sales and they're not they're pulling back and going back to blogging and it's just this lack of control it seems to be the theme mm -hmm. uh, and you know one of our board members said you know try to plan strategies as if you don't have Facebook Google and Instagram what would you do what would you do out with communities what would you do completely different. And um, that's a tough one still because we're so reliant on those three. Um, I haven't used TikTok as much, but it's obviously on fire in the younger market. And now I think um, yeah. older market is on it as well. So it'll be interesting how this continues to unfold. Yes. I've seen uh, various thought leaders who will have some type of marketing strategy and be like, Hey, you can buy this course and I'll teach you how to do this thing on Facebook. And then you dig into it a little bit and you're like, Oh, that was a strategy that probably worked in 2004, 2008, but that certainly is not going to work today. So I, yeah, I'm in, this, I'm in the same boat in terms of looking for a, a different avenues and marketing strategies to reach customers. And, uh, you know, I think no matter what building community, and having a community of people who align with the values of your company and the vision, the mission uh, is so important. It's one of the things I've always loved about you is that you've made your vision and mission, the values of your community, you know, so front and center. Um, you do, do such a great, a great job with that. What other um, advice might you give of for young people or even mid-career professionals? I, a lot of times I talk about young folks, but uh, one of the things that I'm finding kind of post-pandemic is that there's a, a lot of people, mid-career, even late-career, who are, you know, maybe they didn't take a long sabbatical like you, but they're, they're waking up and they're saying, you know what, I, I want something different out of life. I, I, I need to make a pivot. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make a leap and do something different. But they're also facing a little bit of fear in that process, a little bit of uncertainty. Uh, any words of encouragement or advice you would give somebody who's in that spot who's like, all right, um, I'm, I'm taking the leap? Yeah, um, I would not do it because of fear. Because when you get on the other side of fear you become stronger. Mm. And that's kind of back to the messes, your message. Um, you don't get stronger and you don't grow if you let fear stop you. Um, so I wouldn't do, not do it for fear. Obviously, you know, people have financial co commitments and responsibilities. You also have to do it smart. Um, you have to make sure that 
you can pay your bills while you're trying something new. Um, but you know, I think there's, there's so many, to your point, there's actually really great, uh, mastermind courses that you can take. So say, for instance, you wanted to try real estate, um, you could probably take a course that wouldn't cost anything before you go take the leap and jump into it. Um, and then go find a really great real estate agent and go have lunch and talk to them. But I think you have to find out what is it that you've been dreaming about that you want to try first, start there Mm -hmm. and then craft how, what is the way that I can dip my toe first before jumping? Mm -hmm. Um, that's what I would recommend. Um, it's kind of like, you know, we send our kids to intern. We, we encourage our kids to go take on internships. Um, because it will save them a lot of time to find out if they like the industry or they don't like the industry. Yeah. So why would it be any different for someone mid-career? Like yeah. you could go try. Um, but, yeah, and then there's sometimes you just have to take the risk and, yeah. and fall back on the fact that no one can take your, your current skills um, away from you. You know what you know. It belongs to you. Um, no one can take that away from you. So have confidence that you can take that and apply it somewhere else. Oh, that's such a brilliant statement that people can't take that away from you and it's yours and everybody's life experience is unique. It's distinctive. It's different. And all the things that we have, uh, endured, overcome, um, those experiences make us who we are and then and also make us a valuable person. Every single person is valuable. Every single person has a story to tell, and uh, there's a place in the uh, in the world, in a company, in an organization where they can add value. Uh, one of the things that I've been so impressed with you is I, I see what a voracious learner you are. I mean, you're a reader, and you're constantly uh, expanding your boundaries with executive education, and not only to, it was. Uh, putting all of us to shame. You graduated from our program. And the next thing I know you're enrolling and you're going to Oxford and you're starting an Oxford program. I'm like, my gosh, this girl. I mean, oh, you're I just like. I tell you though, I didn't know what to expect. Yeah. And I would highly recommend it for any of you. It's very different from HBS. Doesn't take anything away from HBS. Mm-hmm. HBS is awesome with case study. Mm-hmm. This, this program was reimagining leadership mm-hmm. and it was um, really deep on how do you show up as a leader in the world today? How do you show up as a leader for people today? And, you know, we talked about politics and all kinds of things about how do we as executives and leaders, what can we do and how can we show up in the world to make a difference? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really incredible because, you know, I was always thinking about, oh, what can I take from HBS back to my business? I wasn't necessarily, what can I do for the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can do a lot. And so it was pretty incredible. Any other uh, insights? I know Lauren was the one kind of putting that program yeah. together. And you know, I was disappointed I wasn't able to attend. But it, it, yeah, every single person I spoke with that attended, they're like, my goodness, this was phenomenal. Of course, I mean, how could you beat spending some time in Oxford and learning from some of the you know, best professors in the UK? But any anything else? Any other insights? I'm assuming this is a program that's going on year after year, right? Okay. It is. And the other thing I really loved that was um, kind of a bit different from HBS was HBS because it's more North American attendees. Mm-hmm. The 
there's definitely uh, all around the world attendees at HBS, but it flips on its head at Oxford, and there's way more people from other parts of the world and less in um, from North America. So the learnings that you get of how people have had to do business in some of the countries that have been um, like three times they've built businesses and they the government has taken it away. Oh and like, you know, you realize how, how much, um, how much they've had to work for what they have and how fast it can be taken away. And it's so much more volatile and the discussions are, are definitely um, different. Mm. I mean, they just cannot not be. Um, so I found that, you know, my love of people, I, I was just really fascinated and curious. How important do you think it is for folks today to have a uh, global awareness and connections from around the globe? As I, I share with various uh, leaders that I'm, I, I chat with, and then I'm able to take some of those conversations and share it with my, my kids or people in my community. Uh, for me, I find it to be extremely enriching, and I find that the information I get from those relationships uh, quite a bit different. My perspective for, for those countries or those issues is quite a bit different than if I was just to click on CNN or you know, Fox News or some other, you know, the, the, the BBC, um, maybe share your thoughts and viewpoints on, you know, being able to develop a, a, a diverse relationships with friends and connections around the globe. Yeah. I mean, first we are globally connected. All of our supply chains are connected Our, you know, I've had conversations that, oh my gosh, if China continues to separate more and more politically from the U.S., the amount of products and supply chain problems that we will have, um, you know, as we know, fuel and finances are all connected. Banks are connected. Um, so you do need to be aware of what's happening and what's driving those things. Um, probably more for your business. Um, but personally, I think the responsible thing is to really understand what is going on in the countries around us. Um, I mean, even the fact that, you know, there's so many, so many countries that are going without food and, mm -hmm. and, you know, what can we do as leaders of the world to try to help? Because if we don't help and we're not aware of what's going on and we're making decisions to cut a country out, like for instance, there was something that happened. We did a lot of business in Ethiopia, and because there were warlords or gangs in Ethiopia, the U.S. put in a sanction, which guess who ends up paying the sanction, paying for the sanction that the U.S. government put in? The company, us, because we have to pay now a 15% premium. The people that we're trying to provide employment for now has less volume because we can't afford to do the volume. So who's it really hurting? The warlords don't care. They don't get hurt. Mm -hmm. So it's just lots of silliness like that. And as a leader, you need to try to impact that where you can. And a lot of times those decisions are being made 
for a split second sound bite that a politician can, you know, say, um, have on C-SPAN or in the local news. And I'm, I'm tough on this, or I'm strong on this, or we're, we're taking action. And when you peel back the layers of the onion and you take a look at the second and third order consequences, as you accurately state, it is the average person on the street, the, the middle class Ethiopian or American who's, who ends up paying the price. And the, the person who's, supposedly being punished it doesn't even feel it and i i think this is one of the the things that really frustrates me from uh on a, on a political side is that so many decisions are being made where second and third order consequences aren't being discussed and especially i love the the, the fact that you said we ought to be doing like a little bit of a you didn't use the word post-mortem i forget the term you use but a, re, a review and um but we need to we need to do this uh, we need to have dialogue and um, force transparency and authenticity in these big decisions that are impacting people, not just here uh, domestically uh, or domestically in Canada, but uh, around the world. And it just yeah. it feels like those con those conversations um, aren't being had and disastrous decisions are being made. And then nobody pays the price. Nobody is held right. accountable for stupid decisions that negatively impact so many, you know, middle-class individuals around the globe. And it's just, it's uh, at some point, something's got to change. And that's where we as leaders being educated, being connected, getting together and saying, Hey, here's what I'm experiencing. And uh, one leader's voice can have an impact. And I, I've watched you have an impact in the companies that you lead. I've watched you have an impact uh, at HBS with the ideas that you share and the suggestions of how, how to improve the program. Um, and it, it, when groups of people get together and say, hey, you know what, let's go have an impact. Let's help this community. Let, let's help this group of people. Yeah. Well, it's yeah, interesting you say that because I really believe as individuals, we all need to own and recognize we need to do our part to mm -hmm. make both our countries and our communities a better place to live. It's really easy to complain and we'll never agree on everything. It's not possible. Right. And with politics, we spend so much time, you know, I was living in the U.S. for a while, trying to convince one side is better than the other. And it's a lot of effort. Mm -hmm. Can't we take that effort? And I was thinking, could we get, um, well, we have so many talented, diverse thought leaders in both countries or mm -hmm. even around the world. Like, I would love to see panels arranged to help solve our country's biggest issues. Um, mm. A couple to name would be healthcare and education, mm. because you know I feel the world is moving so fast with technologies and um, discoveries, and those two institutions, my opinion only, mm. have not kept up the pace of evolution. And we have people in positions that are just not doing anything about it to change it. Mm -hmm. And I feel if we gave this challenge to a few groups of these thought leaders, we may be surprised at what they could propose to solve some of these problems yeah. that our countries are facing versus letting governments alone decide. And so I just find it kind of odd we haven't been able to evolve to that. And I'm just one person with an idea, but, um, you know, I thought about running a company, you know, presidents and CEOs, we have to make the right decisions, deliver results. Uh, so we can keep our jobs. Mm -hmm. And yet in politics, it doesn't seem to have the same report card.
Yeah, there's no report card, right? It's like, yeah. like, oh, let's not forget. Let, let don't let's not talk about that bad decision I made. You know, we're we're on to something else. Yeah. And I hate to talk about politics because it's such a heated discussion yeah. all the time. So I really wanted to stick to solutions yeah. and not yeah. talk about politics. I'm this. I'm I'm the same way. But I I will I will share with you. I think that you're spot on the money with those two areas in terms of healthcare and education. That those are universal things that everybody can agree on. And you're absolutely right. There are areas where we have not um, had a. a a lot of advancements. You take a look at a lot of other areas within uh, where, where technology, we've had all sorts of, you know, developments and advancements. And um, boy, th those are two areas that impact every person, every family, and where we, where we know we can do better. Yeah. And I, I remember I asked you and I was supposed to go look it up, but CMH housing, I think it was in Canada, mm -hmm. YPO were totally um, re restructured the whole organization and he managed to do it so that's what i was thinking about when i was thinking about well why can't we do mm -hmm. something like that for the biggest problems we have well you need to take some of these ideas to uh to ypo and see if we can get a couple of these panels set up and get, you know yeah. generate some ideas i mean what we've got is it now 27 is it 27,000 ceos and presidents from around the globe i mean that's that's a uh, a, a fairly large group of, of individuals that you feel like you could pull some people together and say, hey, here's some here's some ideas, here's some suggestions. Yeah, and the discussion I want to have with Adam and Basil later today would speak to the question you gave me about if I want to try something new, um, but because I haven't spoken to them yet, I don't want to say because they yeah. may not think it's a good idea. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I am sure they will think it's a great idea. They've got a lot of love and respect for you. Out of curiosity, have you ever thought about, uh, it sounds like this place that you have up there in Canada on an island and you've got, you know, got a dock out back and you know, you, you've got girlfriends coming up and hanging out with you and they're getting all motivated and inspired about this, you know, how you're viewing life a little bit differently. It almost sounds like you could be running like a, a, a mini retreat center up there and bringing, you know, uh, early career female leaders or mid-career female leaders who are needing a, a little a, a break and then getting some mentorship and teaching and coaching and you could share with them things that you've learned on your journey. I mean, have, have you ever thought about that? I absolutely have. Um, it's part of that road mapping that I was talking about that I need to finish. Um, I probably need a few more bunkies on my, my island, but mm -hmm. all that's doable. Uh, but I've also thought about taking them on um, really special wellness retreats mm -hmm. and having these type of conversations. Um, so these are all the dreams I've been having while I've been on sabbatical that I didn't have time to do while I was busy dealing with COVID crisis and everything else. So yes is the answer. That's awesome. I, lo I love being around people who have time to dream, right? And, and when like dreaming and hope is so important right it, I, I think uh it's so it's intoxicating and when you and when when you when you're around somebody who has a big dream and they've got hope for the future and they're inspired about what they're striving after they're working towards and they know they're making a difference and they're excited about it it's intoxicating it, it is you, you just feel the energy radiate off of them and so being able to see you in that that environment and be able to see the difference in you from where you were, say, a year ago, you know, the, 
hard charging type a incredible uh, leader doing great stuff but seeing how that how that you've had this transformation and the way you're viewing the world through a slightly different lens it's inspiring and i i, I just want to encourage you to you know help other people be able to go through that same tra transformation as well that's that's awesome well i appreciate that bob and as you know i got i got more out of being a group leader at harvard than doing the work. Mm -hmm. So there's a parallel there. Um, and so I definitely do have a passion for it. So we'll see and hold me accountable. I, I, I will. I'm going to, I'm going to continue to be a, a friend that encourages you. And I know many of our classmates will as well. And, uh, I'm sure we'll end up having friends come up there and have a life changing experience. So, uh, as we kind of round around the, uh, the horn here and kind of start to close up and I appreciate all of the, the time that you have invested uh, with me this morning. Uh, I know you've already listed a couple of really good books and I'll make sure to put those in the show notes, but are there any other books that you've been reading or any other ways in which you've been, you know, trying to grow and learn uh, during the sabbatical? Um, I have so many books, Bob. Uh, I'd have to look at my audible. Um, What's one of your favorites that have had like a tremendous impact for you over the last year? To be like, oh, this was a game changer oh, for yeah. me. I think always Patrick Lencioni, Five Dysfunctions of a Team mm -hmm. and Leader as a Coach. Those, those have been my early on um, favorite books. Okay. And I've gone on, um, I've created facilitations off of those books. I've done small team uh, offsites with those books. Um, and then there's one, uh, Gino uh, Wickman. Oh, yes, the EOS. Oh, my God. I just did a whole, um, I created a strategy session that was like for 40 of my executive or my 40 of my members at ABLE. And uh, we did a two day offsite, but two or three days prep. Um, I just love doing that because it's like bringing everybody on a journey together to be able to get to the end result of what they all want to agree on the strategy is. Um, so that, that, those three have been instrumental and I have so many more. Yeah, Gino's book is a phenomenal book. And one of my business partners is close friends with him and lives right around the corner from him in Michigan. So if you ever want to get, get together with Gino in Michigan, let me know. I'll, I'll hook you up. That's the way I think in process discipline, like, what do you have to do first to get what you want? And mm -hmm. and what what big ideas do you need to work on first to get the biggest results? So, yeah, I really loved his stuff. Yeah, he, yeah he's a phenomenal thought leader. Well, these are great books. I can't wait to I'll put them in the show notes and uh, make sure uh, friends and family are reading them. And uh, one of the questions that I've been asking all of our guests recently has been, if you had the opportunity, you know, let's imagine that, um, President Biden gave you the opportunity to uh, address the American people. And I know you're a Canadian, you're a proud Canadian. And so I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask you to answer this two different ways. Um, what would, if you had the opportunity to do a state of the union address to the American people, what would you say? And, and um, vice versa, if Justin Trudeau called you up and said, Kim, Heard all the great stuff that you're doing. Man, you are killing it, girl. Uh, you need to come up over here, and I'm, I'm going to give you the mic, and you're going to do a State of the Union address to the Canadian people. What would you say? Would your message be similar? Would it be different? How would you approach that? Yeah, I think it would be similar. Um, I've met Justin Trudeau, but it was right before. He was still an MP before he went to be the president, so I or prime minister. I haven't seen him for a long, long time. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a tough one because, when you're president or prime minister, 
you try to do the right thing mm-hmm. for what the country needs, but then you don't get voted back in. Mm-hmm. So they're in a tough position. Um, so, you know, I would just communicate the reality of what they're facing. But kind of like what I said to you a little while ago, I, I it's a tough job. It's mm-hmm. not one I would ever want because logically I don't think you can ever win at it. Yeah, it's a catch-22, isn't it? Yeah, um, but I think there needs to be a better balance of politics and fundraising from people that, you know, how do I say this? If, if they don't like what you're doing, they don't give you the money, um, but yet we're spending a lot of money helping because we have to, the lower class, um, and I grew up in that class, mm-hmm. um, and they need it, but we're not spending enough time generating businesses, ancillary businesses, that the government can make some money by doing business. Mm-hmm. I just, there has to be, there has to be a change of structure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not giving you a state of the union. I'm just giving okay. you some thoughts on what I think. A, yeah, a, a, a policy and yeah, no, it's, it's wise. I think it's the, the challenge. One of the, uh, the biggest challenges of the day or how can governments who have a heart for the people, uh, by the people, uh, to serve um, the least of these, and at the same time, which we all do, right? Um, and I, I have a similar background uh, from you I, I, as you. Uh, I, I didn't grow up in a uh, with, with a privileged background, but it came from a, a blue collar working class family, and um, you know struggled many years. Uh, and, but I, I proudly wear that badge because I think the, just like you, those, those uh, struggles and those trials, uh, made me who I am today. And I had people along the way who gave me a, a hand up, right. And helped me. And, uh, it, it has allowed you and I to, um, be flourishing and doing good work in our communities, providing jobs and opportunity for other folks. And we wanna be able to have those same safety nets, those same things for other people that we can, right? And the, the balance is how do we um, afford those programs? And uh, unfortunately, we're, we're in, like you said, it's a, being, in a, being a politician, being a leader today, uh, it, far too often it is a catch-22 and um, it's almost an unwinnable situation because you've, you, you have great need on one hand and then you've got uh, massive debts on the other. How do you, how do you make it all work? Um, so I, I tell you well, what. It's we, like a, you think about us running our business. If we're not generating revenue, we can't pay the people mm-hmm. that work for us right. or profit, not revenue, profit. So it's just like how do you filter politics through a different lens of business and how do you make it? And, and I'm not saying, I know it's hard. Mm-hmm. Someone would have done it already, but right. <laughs> it, it would be, it'd be interesting to look at their P and L. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I, I think some of it is, uh, yeah, some of that is public record and it doesn't look good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so. it's just like, is anybody brainstorming and maybe they are creative ways to raise, yeah. Fun. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. I. I honestly hate to comment because I yeah. have. I have not spent my life in politics, right. and I get frustrated listening to them fight with each other. So then I take a step further yeah. back, which mm-hmm. you know 
I, I try to have my impact in my communities another way because mm-hmm. I, I just don't feel like I, right. I can win there. Okay. And Here's where I'll encourage you. And I, I think this is encouragement for me and you both and, 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 and for everybody listening. Maybe you will agree with this. But I think there, there's times in life where I have found that there's a difficult challenge or situation and it's when you're in a catch-22. And um, when it looks like all the options are bad options. And in, in that type of situation, we talked about it earlier, what you and I and other leaders were faced with during COVID is you have to make a decision with incomplete information and no decision is the worst decision of all. I agree. We, we as leaders are forced to make a decision, even if it is um, a little bit scary. Uh, and you talked earlier in, in our in the podcast today. You, you had to make quick decisions. You said bad bad information or bad things don't you know solve itself. It, it actually gets worse. And one of the things that we know as business leaders is that when you're in those times of situations, you can't be looking for someone to blame. It's not time to point fingers and start oh, fighting exactly. and blaming. You just got to roll up your sleeves and you got to get work done. And so what I think what we as leaders need to do, and you, you have articulated it throughout the course of this conversation, you've been inspiring people. Um, for us to step forward, for us to have our voices heard, for people to, no matter how big, no matter how small, no matter where we are around the globe, but one person can make a difference. We've seen that consistently over time. Think of Rosa Parks. Think about Martin Luther King Jr. One person with a voice can change the world. A group of leaders that get together and say, you know what, we're not going to blame each other. We're not going to blame the other side. We're not going to look for a, a, a way to fight, but we're, let's look for a way in which we can lock arms. Let's find places where we have commonality. We have more things in common than we have differences. And we're going to have to make decisions that where we don't have all the information, but let's work together. And when we've got, when we have a cadre of leaders globally that start doing that, guess what? Here's one thing that I've learned. Politicians don't lead. Politicians follow. And what, you know what they'll do? They'll follow leaders like me, like you, like Adam, like Rima, uh, like folks in our class, other CEOs. We've got to lead. The founder of ABLE, Barrett, um, got us all thinking, which I love, progress over perfection. Um, Maybe we can't do it perfect, but if we can make progress every day and and make a difference, we're heading in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, I want to encourage you continue to lean in. You lean in um, both in your sabbatical because I, I I love the energy and the excitement and the enthusiasm that you have coming out of this time that you've been away. That the way that you're seeing the world through a different lens. Continue to lean in in your engagements with mentoring young leaders and mid-career professionals. You're doing such a great job there. Lean in politically there in Canada. Continue to inspire. You inspire me. That's why I mean I, I could not wait to get on a, a conference call here, this Zoom call with you today and just record this. And, you know, it's like I'm, I'm going to be walking away this week with an extra pep in my step, uh, encouraged to have just been able to sit here for an hour and a half and just see your smiling face and hear all the great stuff that you're working on. So I just want to let you know how much I love and appreciate you, Kim. Well, thank you very much, Bob. And you call me anytime. I will. You know I will. All righty. Okay. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, bye-bye. Today's episode was engineered by Mitch White with graphic and marketing by Tristan Dickey. Special thanks to Kim for being such a wonderful guest and taking time to be with us today. 
Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or wherever you go to listen to your favorite pods. If you like the show, please share it with a friend and give us a review. That's always appreciated. Once again, thank you for spending time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you again next week.